This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. Welcome everyone to today's episode. There's a general agreement in our societies that our lifestyles must change if we hope to achieve a sustainable future. However, what exactly needs to change and how is of course a topic of much debate. Sport researchers have perhaps been a little bit slow to contribute to these conversations, but it's exciting to see the growth of debate and research around these issues. What are the different perspectives that we could draw on? What could a sustainable future look like, both for recreational sport as well as for elite competition? I'm delighted to be discussing today with two researchers who can enlighten us on these issues. Dr. Alexandra Köves and Attila Zatmari, both from the Corvinus University of Budapest, have spent the last years exploring the questions surrounding sustainability in and outside of sport, and also recently collaborated on a project looking at what a vision of sustainable sport for the future could look like. Alexandra and Attila, welcome to the podcast. It's really a pleasure to have you here with me today. Hello, Nora, and uh, let me greet uh, all your listeners as well. Um, it's, it's fantastic to be here. Thanks for the invitation, and uh, I'm really, uh, really a pleasure to, to be here and, and uh, share our thoughts with you. Yes, I think in the past few weeks, uh, since I saw the work that you've done together and then looked into the other projects that you've done before, I've been very much looking forward to this discussion. And I think for our listeners, I'll mention that Alexandra also has a very interesting, fairly new podcast, Economics for Rebels, and there will be a lot more these exciting conversations around also the topics that we discussed today. But so I think for our listeners, uh, it would be really nice for a start to have a little bit of introduction to you and your work. And I've seen that you have a little bit different entry points to the study of sustainability. And so let's explore this a little bit before we focus on the topic of sport. So perhaps Alexandra, you would like to start. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, well, I consider myself um, an ecological economist. Ecological economics is a, is a field of research um, that's been going on, well, mainly since, since the 70s, uh, but got institutionalized at the end of the, of the 80s. And ecological economics actually uh, questions that what we do in the economy is leading to sustainability. The aim is to, to find um, an economy uh, and a society that can stay within planetary boundaries. 
And um, our current economy is is merely incapable of doing that. And within uh, ecological economics, I um, um, I also take part in 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 the movement called uh, degrowth. And degrowth says that in order to do that, in order to stay within planetary boundaries, we simply have to forget about uh, the the overall aim of uh, of economic growth. So uh, degrowth is not about uh, decreasing our economy. Degrowth is about not focusing on our economy and not centering all our uh, initiatives around growth. And obviously, um, this needs a completely new vision of uh, of society, completely new vision of our relationship to to nature, and um, and my research field is 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 kind of trying to build up these kind of visions. Um, so, what what would a, a degrowth future look like? And for that, I'm, I'm using a, a methodology called backcasting. And I, I guess we will have the chance to talk about that methodology later on. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And Attila, a few words uh, from your, your end as well. Yes, I, I think I have a different route to, to degrowth and the sport and sustainability topic because I'm coming from a, a sport media. I'm working as a as a sport commentator for in the last uh, 15 years at Eurosport. And actually, when I met uh, elite and professional uh, athletes and uh, have a, had a close connection with them and talking about their career and uh, how they feel, the most touching uh, thing was that uh, although most of the people think that they are role models and we should uh, follow the the career which they did, uh, most of them was not uh, satisfied what they achieved and was actually the well-being part of their life was not uh, not 100% if I can say this. Uh, and those uh, actually got to the point that I should uh, research it and should it could be a research question, uh, trying to find out why they are not satisfied with their life and why they have problems and, and not so-called well-being uh, part of the life. And this uh, this situation, these experiences, uh, actually lead me to to start an academic career and try to find the ways how uh, uh, sport as a as a as a subsystem can be more sustainable from an individual athlete points of view. And actually, I would say that this was the point when we we met Sandra and uh, found out that we could have a research together involving uh, university students and trying to find out a vision, sustainable vision of sport. And mm-hmm. actually, this was the beginning. Right. I think we already touched upon a few concepts and, and basics of the sustainability debate. So, for example, Sandra, you mentioned this concept of degrowth. And then on the other hand, you could talk about the sustainability of sport for the individual athlete but then you could talk about sustainability also from this ecological perspective. So I wonder, I'm also pretty much a beginner in the sustainability debates. I followed them with interest. So I think it would be first quite interesting for us to maybe explore what are these different perspectives that are now being debated. Degrowth was something mentioned, 
There's something called post-growth that I got familiar with last autumn as well. So what are the basic positions that we can see there? Maybe, Sandra, if you start with that, and then after that, we can talk about ecological versus social sustainability and individual sustainability. Yes, um, um, I'll try to quickly run through the different uh, sustainability approaches and uh, let's start with the mainstream because I guess our listeners uh, uh, can tap into that quite easily. The the mainstream says that uh, in order to be sustainable, we have to focus... um, on uh, on not using up resources for for uh, we have to maintain these resources for the next generations to come uh but when they uh when they say resources basically they uh they they don't just think of of natural resources uh but also kind of man-made um capital uh man-made resources human resources and natural resources and um, uh, this is this is something that we call weak sustainability. When when we th- we think that all these things can can be substituted with each other, so uh, so you can stop to substitute natural capital with man-made uh, capital as long as the next generations can also use that. Now, um, obviously, this isn't this isn't very strict because it says that uh, um, you can live up. Uh, uh, natural resources, uh, you can deplete them, uh, but you have to come up with something um, uh, um, worthwhile. And and this this also so leads to a very um, technology optimistic uh, scenario. And a lot of people who are into sustainable development now they they think that just by making um, just by making uh, uh, our production more efficient in terms of uh, uh, ecological resources and the energy uh, use, just by using technology and making improving it, we will be able to decouple um, our um, burden on the planet um, our, uh, from from the from the growth uh, of the economy and, and and the growth in our um, kind of well-being because in this case well-being is 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 uh, seen as, as a material um, uh, as material wealth so um, uh, so this is this is the kind of the mainstream thought and uh, and this promises this promises that through technology we can have business as usual scenarios so we don't have to rethink the way we live the way we we work the way we produce things. So, um, um, and and then uh, let's move on to to, to more radical um, uh, alternatives to this uh, sustainable development approach. And this is when uh, when we say uh, uh, no, we we can't we can't replace uh, natural resources once once they are depleted beyond. Their regenerative capacities, they uh, they can be substituted uh, by man-made uh, uh, things. So uh, so we need to start rethinking why we are doing things, why we need things. What is the the telos of of certain economic activities? 
um, and why we need to pursue growth at all costs. And um, and this is where this questioning of, of the growth paradigm comes in and says, uh, well, basically, our task is to find uh, a way for humanity to to live as as well as it can uh, within these planetary boundaries, and uh, and of course this comes back to uh, to distribution distribution of resources. This comes back to social justice, um, and and many other things. So it's a completely different way of looking at the world, and why we need things. And of course, sport is really exciting in this, uh, um, in, in all this, because uh, we have the feeling that sport is adding a lot to our well-being. But now it has also become a way of of making money. But we need to tap back into the question: What is the telos of sport? What is the main reason? for sport to be in our society. And this is, I think this is a very degrowther question. And so when we are trying to reimagine sport, that is clearly not an easy task. Sport is a traditional institution. I uh, spoke with sport philosopher Sigmund Lowland, and he also pointed out that sports are quite resistant to change with all the tradition and, you know, changing rules in football is very difficult <laughs> for example so there is also this resistance that is evident at least in some of the traditional sport cultures on the other hand we see all the new movement cultures like parkour and other things ha- happening that might have a little bit different logic so yes to move on i think my second part of the question uh, and this would be good for attila because you your work is really focused on sport and so we need to reimagine the future of sport. But I guess social sustainability, this individual sustainability, and then ecological sustainability, we have different things there. So we can maybe chart a little bit what are the problems in relation to each type of sustainability, and do they go hand in hand? I'm just thinking that sometimes if you work with, let's say, ecological sustainability, in some cases, does it always become more socially sustainable as well? Or can there be that sometimes these goals actually pull us into different directions? So some reflections on this as well. Yeah, I think it's definitely, I definitely agree that uh, it should go hand in hand. Uh, That's the so-called three pillar sustainability says that we have the the economic, the the social and the environmental sustainability part, but those are uh, going hand in hand and should, uh, should work together and also have an interaction and impact on each other. Uh, actually, on uh, what are the issues, what are the problems sustainability-wise uh, in sports, I would say that the globalization and the logic of the current uh, economy is quite connected with that because uh, actually we have now an economy-dominated system and uh, and it means that uh, the society or society and the nature is uh, is working uh, according to the economic logic. And I would say, and Dickos also says that uh, that it should be uh, different. We should uh, treat nature and uh, 
society uh, in in a different logic than than we are doing in economy going for profit and making money as as a very important task and and goal here uh, and actually in sport the same characteristics can be identified uh, for example from the globalization if you are just trying to to see the mega sports events like world championships or olympic games uh, it's uh, uh, infrastructure wise or tourism wise or just uh, checking the traveling and uh, how many tourists and how many spectators wants to see on site these uh, these mega sports events it means that uh, for example the carbon emission which can be connected to these events these sporting events is quite big and can be uh, six, seven times bigger than an average people uh, one days or one week's uh, carbon uh, uh, emission or, or this kind of footprint. Uh, also from athlete-wise or individual sustainability-wise, what we are uh, just seeing currently that uh, there's a big performance need uh, related to athletes, the elite, the professional athletes, and uh, what normally uh, people... Today, say that uh, sport is a healthy activity. It actually is not uh, not true. It's not a true when we are seeing the the professional sport uh, anymore, both mental and uh, and physical uh, health wise. Uh, also, there can be a question that uh, really the the performance wise successful elite uh, athletes can be role models or not can be role models uh, it's also a question but we know that uh, uh, lots of uh, people just uh, just seeing the big sport uh, events uh, more than one million people for example in Hungary just uh, following the the big European championship and for example the handball championship which is current in Hungary and the host nation so uh, they have an impact and they should be role models, but we need somehow, uh, I think, change the system and change the performance as a definition a little bit to to move to a more uh, sustainable sporting system and sporting life. Yeah, I was listening to Tim Jackson and his work on post-growth. He did like a keynote for our sustainability day and one of his ideas was that these activities where we have this flow experiences, I mean, sport could, sport researchers often talk about flow and those would be kind of in our more everyday environment and perhaps you don't need a lot of equipment and, and so on, that those would be the low, like the anti-consumerist type of experiences where you value the activity itself and so on. But I guess it's not quite that simple because also our recreational and amateur sport uh, activities can take loads of resources. And if you think all the running shoes and all this gear and mountain bikes and whatever we use. So I think our recreational sports where we like to go back to be close to nature might not actually be so sustainable at all. Yeah, I really like the example in a previous podcast when uh, Professor Gunnar Breivik was talking about the running and the running for records uh, for one hour as a recreational run and and uh, later changing it to to running slower, running without uh, professional shoes, but uh, having experience in the landscapes and enjoying the activity. I would say that for a, rec- a recreational uh, sport the, to be sustainable, 
uh, I would say that it's it's uh, it's uh, more easier to to understand and and to see. But uh, the tendency currently is that that it it goes to a more more unsustainable direction because of what you said. Uh, the shoes, for example, when you are trying to run the consumption, the media consumption, the going for personal records, although it's a recreational activity and it should be about health and should be about joy and enjoyment. So, uh, and I would say that it it comes partly from what's happening in the professional sport life, because they are closely connected and they have a real impact on each other. Can I just tip in a, a few thoughts? Um, like Tim Jackson, I, I think is is also considered an ecological economist, and uh, and I, I think um, I think the idea behind uh, what he says is that. In order to be able to change our consumption patterns and uh, uh, and move out of this uh, this growth paradigm, we need to think about uh, ways of increasing our well-being without um, increasing our um, ecological footprint, and uh, and therefore we have to have a completely new way of thinking. What makes us happy? And some of these things that make us happy, they uh, they don't need material stuff. And I think sports is a very good example um, for that. That there there are many many things that that we feel good about without actually um, involving uh, a, a lot of material uh, um, uh, through throughput. And um, and this redefinition of well being. Uh, is uh, is is important on on the one hand, but on the other hand, what I'd, I'd like to bring in here is the idea of George Monbiot, who is uh, uh, who is an author and um, um, and a journalist at, at the Guardian, and his idea of private sufficiency, public luxury, and the idea behind that is that if we all want to have um, something carved out of the system just for ourselves, uh, then obviously one planet will not be enough for us. But if we start focusing on private sufficiency that makes us happy, you know, owning stuff and doing it on our own, uh, but at the same time trying to shift many, many things that we feel good about into public luxury, then uh, then it's going to be more, it's going to be a cleverer way of using our resources and still feel good about this. Now, in sports, in terms of sports, this is a very important perspective because uh, uh, if I want to have a swimming pool for myself, if everyone, but if everyone wants to have a swimming pool for himself, then uh, that's not going to work for the environment. But if we have fantastic swimming pools where a lot of people can have access, then that's considered a public luxury and we can still feel good about that. So I think this whole idea of private sufficiency and public luxury is very important in terms of, of sports and also this kind of shift uh, of understanding well-being and and 
Um, for example, if we start thinking of of connection and and love, then and and belonging, you know, sports is 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 a very can play a significant part in that and shift uh, good feelings away from materialistic satisficers towards like other ways of of, of satisfying our needs and and achieving the same well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love those reflections on kind of recreational sport and and thinking of value of those activities and how they contribute to our well-being. I do agree that there is this potential. But so the big issue of we are now like three, four weeks away from from the Olympics. And so that's the big issue that everybody's talking about. Sustainability on one hand, the human rights issues. But the other thing clearly is there the ecological sustainability. If you host the games in a place where there is hardly no natural snow and reading this week, some articles, some researchers called them the most unsustainable games ever from this ecological point of view. And so clearly we can talk about these mainstream solutions that, you know, you can have better technologies and you can host the games in places where you have snow and all these things. Yes, the problems can be solved. But what are your thoughts on this when you also said that there is the internal logic of the different facets of our society, such as sport? And we also need to think of this deeper problem that comes with What's the value and role of sport in this case? And can we have a sustainable elite sport system? And if so, what what needs to happen? I would say that definitely uh, systematic changes need to be done, but uh, we should start with small steps. And I would turn to our students because uh, when we made this research with them and uh, the event organization was a topic, a main topic, Mm-hmm. And they were talking about the Olympic Games. Uh, their suggestion actually was to have a, a properly calculated ecological footprint generator or this kind of thing. Uh, so a base to make a proper decision on uh, how to influence or not influence or how to interfere or not interfere into the nature, to the natural resources. We know that um, making a football world championship in Qatar or, for example, doing uh, Winter Olympics in a in a place where there's no snow, uh, it's uh, not too economic friendly or not too sustainable. But also, as you said, we should consider, for example, the, the working environment, how they create, how they make decisions uh, regarding the locals. Um, the Rio Olympics was, I think, a very bad example on that when they created the Olympic village uh, um, on the favelas and not uh, taking care of the uh, 50,000 or 60,000 people who live there and uh, they need to move without uh, uh, a proper decision or, or having uh, uh, proper questions to them. So uh, we need to have a systematic view on that and... Uh, uh, and uh, I would say that there are some good points that uh, uh, the sustainability as a strategy, as a theory, is uh, in the applications. And they really strictly uh, see from uh, 1994, the Lillehammer Olympics, uh, it, it became a winning scenario when they tried to apply for the Olympics. I think the London Olympics was a good 
example and uh, recently we had uh, some thoughts on on the coming football european championship and philip lam was talking about the sustainability strategy on the the football european championship and the 20 pager sustainability strategy uh, was created and uh, actually that's uh, quite detailed and uh, theoretically a very i would say a very uh, quality document and hopefully it's not going to be only a theory but uh, going to be in practice as well so i would say that there's uh, lots of steps uh, going to uh, a good direction uh, but the question is it enough and is it enough uh, enough fast uh, uh, regarding for example or or uh, or questions that what's the the best vision for sport in 2050 we don't have too much time till that I would like to add um, something again, a bit bit more more macro. Um, for a long time, we have thought of our world and of our of all our opportunities as uh, as as limitless. And um, and actually, it was uh, it was Kenneth Balding who who talked about first talked about spaceship Earth and spaceship economy. And when you think of a, of a spaceship, you know, we have limits. We have ecological limits. So when we have an Olympic game that uses up a lot of natural resources, um, then for a long time we haven't thought of this as a trade-off. But now we have to start thinking of it as a trade-off. What are we giving up? for the Olympic Games. Like, you know, if we're spending this much um, carbon emission on the Olympic Games, this much uh, um, resource use, uh, in, in, in our current situation, we have to understand that there are no free meals. So we have to give up something if we want to have this. Now, going back to Monbiot's idea, we can say that this is public luxury. A lot of people enjoy um, watching the Olympic Games. So this is a kind of public luxury. We want to keep that. We want to have that. This is the celebration of humankind. Okay, but what are we giving up for this? And it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a social... It's a social choice uh, uh, question. It's a decision. It should be a public debate. Is it worth? Is it luxurious enough? Is it worth for us to do trade-offs for this kind of um, events? And this is why it's very important what Attila was saying, that the students thought we need to have a clear picture on how much resources we're using up through an Olympic game and what we should give up for that. And uh, so, so this is a, uh, this is a, this is, this should be a public debate. We can have Olympic games, but as soon as we realize that this is a trade-off, we will want to have public games with lower, uh, Olympic games with lower footprint. Yes. I think that's a perspective that many people really haven't considered. That, you know, if if we have the games like that, then we should be able to give up on something else. 
within the limited resources we have. Yeah. Excellent. This has been such an interesting conversation. I think at this point um, we'll finish up for the first part and we'll have a little break. And in the second part, we will look more into detail to the backcasting methodology and the research that you've done uh, using the methodology in a sport context. So thank you so much for the conversation so far. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.